This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This show is brought to you in part by the Art of Charm podcast. Everyone, and I mean everyone, can get better at communicating and connecting with others. And doing so can significantly improve every aspect of your life. Job interviews, love and marriage, creative collaboration, all of these things depend on interpersonal skills. The Art of Charm podcast is a fun, practical, powerful, and best of all, totally free way to up your game while you're commuting to work or doing the dishes. It's fun to listen to and packed with immediately usable advice from people who know what they're talking about, including leading psychologists, Navy SEALs, management gurus, and more. So go to theartofcharm.com forward slash podcast or find The Art of Charm in iTunes or Stitcher and start taking your life to the next level. Hi there, I'm Jason Gotts, and you're listening to Think Again, a Big Think podcast. Big Think is an online forum for big ideas from the world's most creative thinkers and doers. With the Think Again podcast, we're in uncharted new territory. Short surprise clips from Big Think's interview archives launch spontaneous discussions on everything from life on Mars to whether everyone, yourself and myself included, is a liar. My guests and I have no idea what to expect. Today I'm joined by stand-up comedian and comedy writer Ian Edwards. He's written for The Boondocks, Saturday Night Live, Keenan Ivory Wayans show, and a lot more. And his first stand-up album, which is hilarious, was just released on Conan O'Brien's Team Coco Records, and it's called 100% Half-Assed. Welcome to Think Again, Ian. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. Thanks I'm for telling me all those things about myself. I didn't know. Is, are, is it all true? No, I it's hope all so. true. Okay, yeah. cool. All right. I, you know. I'm not going to dispute it. All right. <laughs> so I guess I want to start really meta and ask you what you think makes something funny well, versus right. not funny. Most things have like a mathematical equation. It's like this plus this has to add up to this punchline. That's like, to me, the basics or you're going along a straight line and then you make a surprise turn, or the time when something is said. So timing is kind of a mathematical equation, or it probably could be measured mathematically, but when you're doing stand-up or you're trying to figure out if a joke works with a team of comedy writers, it's more about feeling it out. Is it like trial and error? There's trial and error, and there's calculatedness to it. you got to always keep on experimenting and trying different ways to make people laugh. You shouldn't just stick to what you, you're comfortable with, which is tough when you got formulas at work, you know what I'm saying? So do you think that eventually the guys in Silicon Valley will be able to make an app to replace you? To replace me? Hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> or any comic? Yeah, hopefully not. Yeah. Comet dot Y. Well, yeah, have a robot show up at the club. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to pay them. Yeah. So, I mean, remember the guy that won Jeopardy a lot? Right. MIT, they built a computer that beat him. So, yeah, it's possible. Yeah. They, could, they could do that, like make a robot comic that's just funny as shit. 
Well, I think that once, I mean, once they figure out that comedy piece, they're going to be pretty far along the AI road. Because I, I really do think that humor, mm -hmm. that like leap of thought that it takes to make that surprise connection, mm -hmm. you know, that makes something really funny, like that's one of the things that is hard to replicate. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. Well, let's get into the meat of the show. So my mm -hmm. producers have chosen three clips for us. <laughs> they are a surprise. I don't know what they're about. We're gonna watch Me them. Me neither, we're in the same boat. Yup. So let's see what we have first. Okay, well, this is from someone named Daniel Bergner, and I think we're just gonna have to be surprised by what it's about, because <laughs> there's no clue. We, as a culture, have a ton invested in monogamy. It's the kind of social glue. And I think we all, if we're honest with ourselves, have some level of conscious or unconscious fear that if we really toss monogamy aside, our society would kind of come apart. Even though we've begun to question monogamy, I think seriously as a culture, it still defines our romantic dreams. It defines what we think we should be as parents. And it's very convenient, it's very soothing, calming, that we've told ourselves this story that while men may be animalistic and anarchic when it comes to sexuality, women are, again, by comparison, fairly well suited to monogamy. They can serve as that coherent force. Nice for society, nice of course for men. I get to think that my partner is all about me, even though I might, in coming to speak today, have checked out any number of women as I made my way down the street. So calming for me, but too calming, I would say. Too convenient, socially speaking, too convenient for men. Women are drawn to the novel, and that makes monogamy just as much of a problem, sexually speaking, for women as it is for men. Monogamy is probably one of the hardest things in the world to do, you know what I mean? Like, like I know guys that love their woman to death mm. and would jump in front of a bullet, right. but might fuck another chick, right. you know what I mean? It doesn't mean you don't, don't love the person, it's just tough. Like, especially walking in New York City, there are so many different beautiful women out there, or just attractive, or mentally attractive. It's just, like, if you pull off monogamy in a lifetime for like 20 years in a relationship, you've done better than anything David Blaine could do, <laughs> or just any magician, and, and you should get credit. Like Obama, as a president, he has everything a woman would want, and you're gonna tell me None of nobody's flirted. Like the biggest thing he's pulled off in these eight years of being president is not cheating on his wife to me. Assuming that's the case. Assuming that's Which the case. We, we, we want to assume that, that don't which, we? Yeah, I want to I, assume that. that. I don't, I don't, want, I don't that. want to think of Obama cheating right. on Michelle. That's a lot of pressure. Like I think a lot of people felt that way about um, Kennedy, you know, JFK, mm -hmm. and like many years later were like probably in complete denial when they learned yeah, we, that. You I know. still am. <laughs> you know. So those are the good old days. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I, th I guess monogamy is hard, although I, I guess it depends on sort of the size of your superego, you know, like the, the level of fear that you may have for right. what might happen, you know, right. like how high the stakes are in terms of your relationship, right. who it is that you're with, you know, mm -hmm. how much you don't want to destroy that. And then, yeah, just your personal level of schoolboy guilt around right. like what and might And despite happen. all that, men still and women still cheat. I think what makes it still one of the kind of mysterious things about 
human society is that we all, or most of us, are going along with this arrangement. Maybe we're not. I don't actually know what the numbers are, yeah. but a lot of us Feels are Feels anyway. like mostly everybody Yeah, is. we're talking about this is the idea. We're going to find somebody. We're going to stay with them and be more mm-hmm. or less monogamous. And everyone knows it's difficult, right? men and women. But we, we act like it's not, or it's not supposed to be. We don't give it the credit that it deserves. Like, if I'm with a woman for 20 years, I only cheated once. Right. You, you got to give me something. <laughs> you got to, just once? Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah, but she, you know, the likelihood of her giving you that credit is slim. It's, it's slim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's slim. It's like, it's over. And then if it's not over, then... They'll never forget it, and it'll ruin all the other great things. Vice versa, go both ways. If the man gets cheated on, or the woman, yeah. they may never forgive or forget. I just wonder whether this is one of the things where we are just failing to take human nature sufficiently into account, and we just haven't designed the situation properly. You know, like I, I feel that too. I'm, I'm with you. If you're saying we're not supposed to be monogamous, like I would like to know where monogamy came from. Like something I heard about marriage was why people got married in the first place, you know, just to have kids so that they can have a family and, like, farm the land. And, it, and right. it's from back then. And we're in an industrial age now. We're not even an industrial, we're past industrial. We're in a technical age now. Yeah. And it's like, life has changed, but not this thing, monogamy. To get personal about it for a moment, I mean, I, look, I'm married, and mm-hmm. I don't, I would not be cool. Like, I cannot imagine an arrangement in which I am cool with my wife being with somebody else. Like, that's not, I would freak out. How often do you have sex? And I don't know if I want to go into my, direct into my (laughs) sex life with my wife right Right, now, but uh, I'm not sure I'm prepared to go there. I don't know. Comedians are brave. But I heard someone once propose this situation that if you go away from home, it's okay. Like, if you're traveling or whatever, all bets are off kind of thing. It says like a baseball contract. Like, you can... You can fuck chicks on the road, but none in, in town. Something like yeah. that. that. That's yeah. okay for both partners. They never talk about it, particularly. It's just nobody the other one might know, and right, right. that's how that is. And I mean, that's the that, arrangement. That, that's superhuman nature. I mean, that's idealistic if everybody could get their ego under the control to the point where they can accept that. That's actually spiritual and outer-worldly to just when you're living outside of the concept of monogamy and it works. Like, those are special human beings. I'd love to be one of those special human beings. Like, not to freak out even about the person being on the row and be like, who are they with? What are they doing? Yeah, I just, like, if I was going to do it, I'd just say, hey, protect protect us. Yeah, but I I don't know if or think I'm man enough for that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm definitely not. I mean, I know this for a fact because years ago I was briefly mm-hmm. with someone who wanted to have an open relationship and I tried that and it was like... It was hell? It was hell, yeah. It lasted for two minutes, man. What was the part of it that you didn't like? It was all, like, acceptable more or less until mm-hmm. it came her turn, you know? Oh, okay. <laughs> Which is not... And, and no, now no, no, I can hear fine. I can hear the women in the audience going like, oh, double standard, double standard, but it's not an intellectual thing. It's right. just like, yeah, it's like... I mean, conceptually, I was fine with it until she did it, but... But right. then when I learned that that had happened, I was, that was a total wreck. You and know? You, don't, you don't know how devastated you're going to be until <laughs> she does it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was fine with it. I was on board. Like, yeah. I was like, do what you like. But then when it came to it, you okay. know, the nature bubbles yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, there's more to say on this, but I think let's, let's see what they have for us next. All right. Let's All see. right. Cool. So this one is from Stephen Dubner, the guy from Freakonomics. 
and it is about the gun debates. One of the reasons that the gun debate in this country is so contentious is that there's very little good data on who owns guns and what share of guns used in crimes are illegal guns. But you know, one proposal that I like a lot is to create kind of a national firearm safety administration, something like the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, NHTSA, which collates transportation data. So if we want to know about what really causes, you know, there's still 30 to 35,000 traffic fatalities a year. That's a lot. Considering how much we drive, it's not that much, but it's, that's a lot of death. The more we know about how every accident happens, the better we can do at preventing. Similarly, with something like guns, the more we know about how guns are used, how they get in the hands of the people who use them for crime, you know, the vast majority of guns are never, ever, ever, ever used in any crime. Most laws that we make to protect people from guns are usually ignored by the criminals and obeyed by the law-abiding people. And so I think that if you had better data, there'd be no one more in favor of it than law-abiding gun owners because they don't want to be smeared and lumped in with the criminals who use guns. So that's where data um, can be a kind of different tool in the arsenal when you're trying to make better policy or public policy because otherwise you're just kind of shouting at each other with your ideology rather than understanding how people actually behave. This show is brought to you in part by the Art of Charm podcast. Who knew that plays well with others would turn out to be the most important thing on your childhood report card? Whatever you're trying to achieve in your life, it depends on connecting with and persuading other people. So why is that the one thing they don't teach you in school? Instead, we think of charisma as this mystical, elusive force that you either have or you don't. Nonsense. The Art of Charm podcast offers practical, immediately usable advice for networking, public speaking, negotiation, finance, fitness, and more based on solid clinical psychology and tested, replicable, real-world success, not pop psych speculation. Also, it's a thoroughly entertaining listen. There's nothing manipulative or magical about becoming a better communicator. It's a set of skills you can learn, and there's no good reason to spend your life held back by bad interpersonal habits. Go to theartofcharm.com forward slash podcast or find The Art of Charm in iTunes or Stitcher and start taking your life to the next level. And now let's get back to Think Again. I mean, I can't disagree that data is useful, right. but if the data were to show that even one person with a registered gun left their gun out somewhere and their toddler came and shot someone or themselves with it, mm -hmm. that would be too much, I would think. Even if that's just one, you know? But I just think accidents can happen with anything. Like, just like he said about the 30,000 people get killed in a car accident. Right. Like, cars are definitely never made to hurt anyone. So even some kid puts their hand in a socket or swallows a fork, there's always going to be accidental fatalities. Sure. I don't have a gun. I didn't grow up in a gun culture, but I am pro-gun for this reason. I like the reasons the Constitution ha ha has it, and if you get rid of guns, there's no guarantee you're going to get rid of all the illegal guns, like if all the people that bought the guns legal, so those people have guns. Right. I think it would be beautiful if the place was like England or Australia where the cops didn't even... If the cops didn't have guns, then... I'm down for nobody to have guns. But because cops have guns and cops seem to be really out of control right now, I don't want to live in a country where 
citizens don't have guns to defend themselves if push comes to shove. Okay, you know all saying? right. So you're looking, you're looking for, like, not forward, but you're envisioning the, like, citizen uprising counter I'm, the overly aggressive but, police. Yeah, I think the cops ultimately, knowing that citizens have guns too, will temper their aggression towards citizens. Huh. That's why it's not, it's not as bad as it could be, you know, because we have right. rights. In the, in the back of your mind as huh. a cop or as an authority figure, you know, if you want to try to take some shit over, you know citizens have guns and it's not going to be easy. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. I mean, I can certainly understand that, you know, particularly in communities where the cops are really out of control and, right. like, that fear can be a reasonable deterrent. Even the militias and those people that have guns, you know, the cops don't really go in on those people too hard because they know they have guns. Right. And they let them hunt and do shit. And maybe in this part of this country where they let them get away with more with their guns just because they have guns, yeah, you know? So I always just keep that in mind. I don't want just one section of the population to have guns and nobody else. How, how would you control yourself if you knew you were one of the only five people that have guns? You would be an asshole. Right, right, You'd be right. an asshole. Nothing, I'm one of the only five people in this country with a, with a gun. Yeah. I, you know? Well, that I makes mean, sense, but then I don't want like a nuclear weapon. I mean, you know. Yeah, there shouldn't be any nuclear weapons. <laughs> yeah, okay, I, but, but I would go with no guns then. Nobody has guns. Right, you know right, you, right. You get rid of all the hood guns, all the illegal mob guns, and you get rid of all the, the regular guns guns, and, right. you, and you take away the cops' guns. I you think do it like England. I'm for that. I'm yeah. for that. The, is that the case? The police in the UK do not have guns? No, nah, they have special police that have guns. But, okay. You know, like some at the airport. You're from, you airport. lived in the UK yeah, for a yeah, while. Yeah. Like, I grew up, the cops didn't have guns. That's crazy. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Just the baton or whatever. Just a baton. Yeah. yeah. The argument I don't really buy is the argument of, like, you can't do anything about it. We do hear that from the, like, pro-gun folks who oh, are okay. like, oh, there's no way you're going to get all the guns. Someone's going to have a gun. It's like... They're saying that because they don't want you to do it. <laughs> right, 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 right. So right. they say a way of, like, you're wasting your time. Yeah. And, you know, some people, when they hear you're wasting your time, will think, oh, shit, I'm wasting my time. Fuck it. Right. And let them have their guns. Right. So that's just... They, they hope it has a numbing effect. I wonder about the analogy to prohibition. This just occurred to me. This may be mm -hmm. like a half-assed idea, but I'm just thinking Don't like... Don't let's go for it. Yeah, let's, let's see. It. You yeah. know, 100% yeah. half-assed. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> you, know you know what it made me think of? It, it, what if there was something that was better than guns, that was nothing like guns? So that, you know, people who, who like guns and want guns, right. they're in love with them. Right. They're hobbyists. And they're in love with them. But if somebody could come up with something that was just better than guns, that would occupy the mind of people who love guns, then people would spend their money on that thing yeah. and go away from guns. You well, know? so what do they want out of guns? They want a few things. One, yeah, 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 that's a good way to you know, one, it. they want, like, I mean, there's that kind of, like, manly feeling you get. I've right. been to a gun range once. Like, yeah, yeah. I am a peaceful man. I have been in one physical fight in my life because right. I was drunk at a party, but it felt good to shoot that gun, right. you know? I mean, based on what you're saying, this is all up to women. Right? <laughs> yeah, but, you know what? But no, the but mothers of all those Dylan Roof no, guys, like, they're, they're right. all gun owners, but, but yeah, anyway. But this is what I mean. Like, okay, if right. every woman is, like, the manly thing is to not have a gun. And, right. And they just start, like, fondling men without guns. Like, <laughs> I love a man without a gun. 
this is so sexy. You know how being a nerd now, you used to get beat up when right, you were a nerd. Right. Now, nerds are getting all the chicks. So guys that aren't nerds are pretending to be nerds, and girls that aren't nerds are pretending to be nerds. <laughs> like, people are, like, doing uh, <coughs> Star Wars crash courses, like, like studying <laughs> it, knowing all the names, getting all the T-shirts. Right. And being a nerd is the thing. You could do the same thing with guns in the opposite way. Like, if you don't have a gun, that shit is sexy. And guys would be like, fuck guns. Because ultimately, what we love more than guns is women and sex with women. <laughs> so this comes down to women. You know? Yeah, well, so it, com- I mean, it comes down to culture, right? Because like in New York, yeah. in New York, as a hetero guy looking for girls, you know, and showing off your gun, like that mm-hmm. you probably would not get very far. Yeah, because you know, <laughs> we're in a city where we don't really need them, you know? Right. We don't have to hunt anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and because we value other things, you know, yeah, like yeah. Our arts and other aspects right. of culture, you know, rather than hunting and... Yeah, we need a substitute, but, but it, I guess in the sticks where there's things to hunt and you, right. can, you can still be the primal, I'm going to use caveman just right. as a guy right like some of those things still apply you could drag home literally <laughs> the thing to eat yeah you know yeah like guns still count but it, it just we just need a substitute so i don't know what would ever substitute for that Me i neither, think but whoever comes up with that substitute I mean, it's gonna be a billionaire absolutely i mean i was thinking like virtual reality will give us some of that but like right. not the visceral reality right. of the whatever they want out of the dead deer <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> which i don't want but you know hey. right all right so cool round three yeah all right. I'm down all right sex guns let's see if we get rock and roll next <laughs> oh okay this one is sort of in your area of expertise teaching yeah. science like comedy with bill nye who's kind of both a comedian and a scientist <laughs> No one's ever asked me that before. That's pretty good. How is science education like comedy? Well, you want to get people to choose. Choose to embrace it. You always want the student to figure it out for her or himself. You don't want to give her or him the answer, if you can help it. Actually, maybe that's an excellent analogy to the... Steve Martin's point was, as I understand it, was that the funniest time is when you say, well, you had to be there. The reason for that was because you've chosen to laugh. So if you challenge the student to come up with the answer for her or himself, then he's chosen to do that. She has chosen to get the answer, and so it it makes it your own. As we say, having somebody do it for themselves is worth being told about it a thousand times. And so what you want to do is arrange science education so that students have hands-on experiences. And everybody talks about this all the time. But it's a whole nother thing to actually pull it off, to actually do it that way. I've had a lot of teachers, some in school and some just in life. Like I came up with a bunch of comics who ended up being smart, like Patrice O'Neill, Bill Burr, Norton, Keith Robinson. You know, there's just a lot of thoughtful comics, like Louis, one of them and you watch their stand-up, you can learn things from them. And these are people you have conversations with right. at the Comedy Cellar all the time. And they're all teachers in a sense, you know what I mean? There was a... I used to date this girl right out of high school, and her mother was basically a saint. And she taught me how to be good in this 
time when there's so many distractions and opportunities to be bad. Right. So, yeah, like those sort of mentors, yeah, formal yeah. or informal. And then the, yeah, yeah, very yeah, very informal mentors. Uh, that makes you that make you like push your mind and think past the point that's right in front of you. I can see what you might mean about comics, you know, being generally good teachers or or a lot of them anyway. I mean, Comedy, it seems to me, especially stand-up, like you've got to be really introspective. You've got to spend a lot right, of time right. thinking. And but I, I don't think I would normally do that and be introspective and self-aware if I was in another line of business, if I was working in a factory or something like that. Right. And I, I think those things are important. And like he said, you want the student to figure things out for themselves. You kind of lead them to the water and then they, they drink it. So, right. so I've ran into people who have affected me in a contagious way where after I've run in with them, I've continued to train of thought on by myself and been in the discovery mode of finding and looking and searching and learning stuff on my own. Right. Some of the best teachers I had, like non-school teachers, they were just honest. And like even learning honesty is a huge thing, you know? Right. Because you can skate by in this world without being honest. You can. You can get far without being honest. Mm. But it's just such a valuable, honestly, it's such a valuable thing, especially in comedy, man. It's just, it's one of the funniest ingredients is honesty. So I think a lot about this. Like, I don't think it's possible to be completely honest. I, I just don't. I, I guess I want to ask you, like, sort of, how do you understand honesty? Like, given that we conceal a lot of ourselves, like, what, like, what I, does it mean to be honest? It means a lot to me to be honest. The more honest I am, the better I am as a person, and also the better I am as a comic. You know, I mean, I don't mean is it important. I mean sort of what is honesty, you know? What is honesty? Yeah. Honesty is honesty. You know, for example, with stand-up, like, mm -hmm. what if you feel that night, like, what if you're super depressed? Right. Like, do you come on with that? Is that good, like, as a comedian? Or are you, you know, should you come with some other energy? I got, like, I got a great answer for you. Yeah. You know Tig Notaro? Yes, I do. Her greatest night in stand-up that took her to the next level. She was at Largo. Louis happened to be there. Place was packed. And she had just been diagnosed with cancer, I think, that day and maybe the week before her mother just died. So she's on stage and she's going to do her act. And then she just started talking about being diagnosed with cancer that day, and it's a week after her mother died, something like that. And it was honest and it was funny, and it changed her comedy life. Yeah. You know, it yeah, got, yeah. got her about a, a bunch of respect and it, and it took her to, to the next level. But so, yeah, being honest, I mean, because you can be sad and funny. Like, I've seen right. people not talk and be funny. I've seen people be sad and be hilarious than somebody who's shouting and trying to... Right. Funny comes in so many different forms. You just have to know how to manipulate it. Right. Ian Edwards, this was really cool. Thank oh. you so much for being on. Thanks uh, for having me, Think man. again today. Once again, Ian's album of stand-up is called 100% Half-Assed, and it's on Team Coco Records, which is Conan O'Brien's label, and it is really, really funny. I was laughing out loud in the office here, Thank which you. is a pretty sedate office. <laughs> it is. Looking like, you know, an idiot, <laughs> but being honest, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> See? Yeah. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks again. All right. So that about wraps it up for this week's episode of Think Again. Last week we had Sam Harris and we got an amazing response to that. 
and also a lot of people asking why we were promoting it through iTunes as opposed to Android platforms. You can always listen to the podcast on Stitcher. Uh, we also post the episodes on our site, bigthink.com. But iTunes is our largest audience base, and it's the largest base for any podcast audience. So that is why we're tending to promote through there. If you are enjoying what you're hearing, and I say this every week, but uh, I'm going to say it again, there is no better way to ensure that this show grows its audience and stays on the digital air than going to iTunes or whatever Android platform you're listening on and rating or reviewing us. A lot of you have done that already. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week with philosopher Alva Noah, who's written a book called Strange Tools about how humanity created art to achieve things that no other technology will do for us. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.